630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. 7-3 Rams leading the Cardinals about five and a half minutes into the second quarter on Monday Night Football. We have the Oilers and Maple Leafs tomorrow on 630 Chad. 5.30 for the face-off show game at 7. Zach Hyman listed as day-to-day. He did not practice today. We'll see if he's out there for the morning skate. Mike Smith close to returning. He will not play tomorrow. Duncan Keith maybe will play and be back in on the Oilers' blue line. Some texts here to 780-496-0063. Doug says, Reed, the Oilers are in big trouble against Toronto. They were never in the game against Carolina. I expect the same tomorrow. Doug is predicting it'll be 6-1 for the Leafs. Another individual says five-on-five scoring has been an issue all season, especially in the bottom six, but not only in the bottom six. That needs to change for us to have a fighting chance every game. Well, yeah, ongoing concern for the Oilers, not good enough five-on-five. And I thought I read an article today that they haven't had a goal from a bottom six player in the last nine games. So that's uh, obviously another huge problem. Gary from Fort Saskatchewan, he says, Reed, talking with all these Oilers fans saying Koskinen sucks, and we need to get rid of him. Well, this is how I would look at it. I would take how Koskinen is playing this year over how Koskinen was playing last year. If it wasn't for him, our record wouldn't be what it is, and most definitely out of the playoffs, fans need to relax. Smitty will be back soon. That is from Gary in Fort Saskatchewan. And, yeah, I, I do agree. Like, uh, Look, I'm going to say it again for about the uh, 900th time. I think Miko Koskinen is a decent backup goaltender. Uh, I think he has some really good games. The problem is uh, he lets in some stinkers along the way. And uh, as we saw against Carolina, he can make some awesome saves, but then, you know, a questionable one or two might sneak by him, which is why ultimately I would classify him uh, as a backup and not a true number one. But he's obviously played way more than the Oilers were hoping he would to this point in the season. We'll see how Mike Smith does. Uh, we get asked about the Oilers finding another goaltender all the time. There's still time to see how it goes with Smith, and then maybe they'll be in the running for Marc-Andre Fleury or somebody like that. So, uh, yeah, appreciate those texts coming in to 780-496-0063. We will go to the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. Our Elks analyst, CFL analyst here on 630, Chad, the one and only Blake Dermott is checking in. Blake, how are you doing, my young friend? I'm doing just fine, Reed. You know, I uh, I'm going to be a little lighter, a cup of coffee lighter. I think uh, um, having to pay you the cup, the little bet that we had, but uh, I think it was uh, it was worth the price. Uh, it was uh, going to talk about the Grey Cup game. It was a heck of a game to talk about. It was a heck of a game. Uh, Sergio Castillo, the Winnipeg kicker, did make a big field goal, <laughs> a couple <laughs> in the fourth quarter, to uh, to help them get the win. And now the thing is, I, I I know you and I have been kind of giving each other a hard time all year long about well, maybe I guess starting in the second half of the year when Winnipeg kind of emerged as the obvious top seed, and, and you were often worried about their kicking game. To be fair, they hadn't yet acquired Castillo. Uh, when you said that, because because you were right, they had some guys uh, who looked like they wouldn't have a good record kicking in high school, let alone in the CFL. Well, I, I mean, it's just but before they got Castillo, they had a sixty percent uh, uh, record, sixty uh, uh, percent, uh, you know, uh, success rate on field goals. That is unbelievably bad, and I felt that that was going to come back to haunt them. Little did I know that that their quarterback would play the MVP of the league would almost play like a backup quarterback, but he could throw six interceptions in the, in the two playoff games. 
um, was it five or six? I can't remember, but nonetheless, not an MVP, MVP type of performance. Um, and that's those were the kinds of blemishes that I saw with this team all year, and those are the kinds of things that led me to believe that they were probably going to find a way to lose this thing. Um, but uh, in, uh, at the end of the day, they found a way to win it, and uh, a lot of it was because of their... Uh, their running game, uh, especially in the game against Saskatchewan, and then of course their defense playing uh, lights out in the in the second half, which is kind of what their trademark has been through the whole course of the season. Of course, uh, Mr. Castillo just outkicked the uh, the kicking of uh, the Hamilton guys. I, I can't remember what uh, I don't even know what what the punt average was for the Hamilton punter, but I'm sure it was probably less than 20 yards because uh, he had a nine yarder, and I think he had well it was certainly less than 25 yards on average on punts. So it was uh, that was in it, at the end of the day. The decision to take the, the the wind in the fourth quarter by Winnipeg was uh, was the reason why they won because the uh, uh, the uh, the Tiger Cats just couldn't do anything and of course the game didn't help them at all. Well, and that's what's going to make this game, I, I think, kind of be remembered for a long time is all the opportunities sort of to be an armchair coach and say this 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 and that and. And Winnipeg saying at the start of the second half, okay, we're trailing, but whatever. We'll give you the ball in the wind because we want it in the fourth quarter. Well, that was uh, that was an excellent decision. You know, when you got wind like that, and I remember I remember, you know, when we were playing, they, they would be looking at the weather forecast uh, four hours out before the game started to see because you'd get a feel if the wind was going to die down. And, and if they felt the wind wasn't going to die down, they obviously must have, I bet they had somebody on a hotline to, to the weather service and, and getting a uh, report saying that it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. So, so ultimately at the end of the day, you put a gamble on that fourth quarter and hope your defense can wake up and, and play. I mean, they hadn't played poorly. They only gave up 10 points in the first half. And if they felt that they could hold them to 10 points, uh, Winnipeg felt that they could, they could do enough in the, in the second half to be able to win the game. And obviously they did. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about that decision to give up the single point uh, by Hamilton to put this, uh, in, you know, at the end of the day, that uh, that uh, that could have cost him the game. But, yeah, if uh, Masoli had been one quarter of one second earlier on that throw, that wouldn't have mattered. Uh, um, it, was, uh, it was just one of those things that Hamilton played well enough to win, and uh, they also played well enough to lose as well. Yeah, well, you know, that single point, I, I think too much is made out of that. I know what happened at the end of the game. And I see people saying, well, he had all this green in front of him. Well, of course he did, because the kick coverage team hadn't got there yet. I mean, he probably doesn't get the 20-yard line. Yeah, and then yeah, that's what you, I said, too. Yeah, yeah, and then you got to drive down. Like, I think if you're Hamilton in that point, you have to kind of play for the worst-case scenario. And, and you're kind of thinking, like, oh, we, we have to assume that we're going to have a relatively long field goal to tie. So, you know, and into that wind, a 30-yard a kick instead of a 40-yard kick would have been a huge difference. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is that people forget that had he run the ball out, I mean, that not only had they, maybe, they, uh, maybe, they, maybe they get to the 35-yard line, but they probably lose six or seven seconds at the end of the day. And that six or seven seconds could have meant the difference between a field goal and uh, and not getting a field goal. So, so I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why. I mean, it's it's uh, it turned into... You know, a non-factor in that 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 Hamilton was able to march down the field and had an opportunity to win in overtime, and they just uh, they just weren't able to take uh, uh, control of the overtime like they hoped they would. And uh, by you could see Winnipeg, the momentum was just jumped on their side, and they were just moving the ball really well. And Kolaris was, uh, shook off a, a really shaky uh, second quarter, and and 
and, uh, um, you know, start to put things together in that second half and play a lot better. Yeah, well, and don't forget, I mean, that's uh, White, the, the kick returner, earlier in the fourth quarter, he tried to grab one and, and missed it, and it went through the end zone. If he'd left that, there's no single point if you don't touch the ball. And then, I mean, look, any coach, here's the thing. I don't, I don't like blaming one guy on one play in a game as complicated in football. And I look at Hamilton, and if you told any coach, coach, you're going to be up 12 points with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter of the Grey Cup, any coach would take that. And then conversely, any coach would take if somebody said to them at the start of the season, okay, there's going to be 20 seconds left in the Grey Cup, and you're going to be first and goal from the five with a chance to win. Any, like, any coach would take that. And Hamilton yeah. was in both those situations and didn't finish. Yeah, I, I remember being up 12 points with uh, nine minutes to go. I'm just sitting there, I'm doing the math. Okay, they got to score on you guys three times. So you're not going to score two touchdowns on you, but they got to score three times to beat you. And so you can, if they score a touchdown, just don't let it happen real quick. Bang, it happened real quick. Okay, now field goal. Make them drive the field, you know, and boom, boom, boom. And then, and so they didn't use up. And then when they got the ball, they were two and out. And I was like, ah, that's, those are the kinds of things, as you said, you know, that, you don't like putting the blame on one player for one play, and it's it's always that old rule. There's always 10 or 12 plays in a game that make the difference and could have made the difference in a win or loss. And there was a we could go through the uh, go through the, the the stats and pick out tons of uh, opportunities that Hamilton had to win that game. But at the end of the day, this was a team that went and, and uh, you know uh, uh, listening to some of the players after the game, they went wire to wire. They Winnipeg was the best team at the beginning of the year and they're the best team at the end of the year. And that is really difficult to do, and there has not been very many teams in the history of the, the, this league or any league where that happens. And, uh, and congratulations, congratulations to them. Um, it went, and it ended up in a, an exciting... They were involved in the two most exciting games of the year, the two playoff games, one against Saskatchewan and then this one in the, in the Grey Cup, and I think it looked good. It's just too bad that the, the hometown crowd has got to wait another year for them to, to, uh, to get, uh, bring a Grey Cup back to that city. Well, yeah, and judging from what some of the commentators were saying yesterday, uh, there could be a lot of changes in Hamilton while Winnipeg could have a relatively stable roster. Blake, you know why I love to ask about the, the mental side of the game and dealing with pressure and dealing with when things go wrong in games? And a lot of the Blue Bombers afterwards were saying, no panic, always thought we had it. You know, we, we were confident all the time. Now, that sounds cool. That's a great story. Um, as a guy who's been there, do you believe that, or is just the the case of history is written by the winners? And after they did win, it was it's easy to say, well, we knew all along we were going to win. Oh, you know, you know, the thing about it is, is that, and and they would all be lying if it, at the point where they were down twelve points, uh, you're in the fourth quarter, and there isn't a bit of doubt. But over the course of the year, uh, you know, you you every and, and it'd be human nature uh, to to feel that way, but. But you also have faith in the guys beside you and the guys on the other side of the ball that you play with and practice with every day. So I'm sure every one of them, you know, there was a, a, collective, a collective gasp and then going, okay, well, now we got to do what we got to do, what we've been doing all year. So, so yeah, I, 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 I remember thinking that way when we were in certain games, when we played Winnipeg in, that, in, the, the, in the Grey Cup in 93 in Calgary, it was the same thing. You know, it was a, I think Sean Fleming kicked seven field goals or six field goals uh, in that game. And, and it was a relatively close game. It was kind of back and forth, and it was, it was. But we, I don't think I ever once felt like we're going to lose this game because I really felt that the other guys, the other side of the ball, were going to beat them. And uh, but 
don't tell. I, I'll be. I'll be. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about it. If I didn't, right. you know, at some point that, that uh, didn't cross my mind that there's an opportunity to lose. But there, there was a real, a real feeling that we were going to win. All right. Uh, a lot of, uh, and, and I, I, I'm always careful to talk about rumors. So I will clarify. You know, these are rumors about the Elks, Chris Jones. There's even a Mike O'Shea thing popped up yesterday. Uh, Dave Dickinson, rumors about the president, you know, Paul Graham, who's an executive with TSN, you know, could he be in the mix? Uh, Stoffer was talking about Barker GM Jones coach combination on his show earlier today. Um, you know, I know, you know, some of those guys, other ones you probably don't, or you've just talked about their, their teams or their work over the years. Um, but like for me, some sort of experience and connections around the CFL and having those tendrils into American markets to get players is important. What what are some of the priorities for you? Well, I, I've I've felt all along that I think what the organization needs with respect to a president and the the the, the one you were talking about from TSN, uh, he's an Edmontonian. Uh, I think that position has to be filled by somebody that has very very strong local ties. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, having a general manager that has some local ties uh, would be a good uh, a good name. One of the other names I heard, and I've been I've been one of the first people. I don't know if I was the first person, but Chris Jones was one of the ones that I had mentioned right from the beginning because he fills two two areas that they need. He fills a GM and and a head coaching position, which is something he did in Saskatchewan. And if you talk to players around the league, they love playing for Chris Jones. If you if you want to have a winner in a very short period of time, Chris Jones is probably the best opportunity for you to have that. Um, but the, the the other one that I've, I've – uh, Danny McManus was the name that has popped up. Uh, Danny McManus, of course, uh, last quarterback I played with in Edmonton, took us to the Grey Cup in 1996. He, he's, he's been around the league. I think he's assistant GM in Winnipeg. And uh, I, that's a name that I've heard, and I think Danny McManus would be an excellent choice. Uh, um, and, and then, of course, uh, Mike O'Shea. Uh, Mike O'Shea is a head coach uh, in, uh, in Winnipeg, but, uh, you know, do you give him the head coach and general manager position? Is that going to be enough to be able to – to wrestle them away from the Bombers. Uh, certainly the fact that they may want to talk to him, uh, I think uh, Mike O'Shea is going to come out of this thing uh, happy as, as heck because uh, he's either going to get more money to come to Edmonton or he's going to uh, get more money to stay in, in the peg. So um, that's a good deal for him. And, and the other thing that people, some people know and some people don't know, I think it was 1993, Mike O'Shea was actually drafted, I think fourth pick overall by, by the – the, the then Edmonton Eskimos, uh, and and I think was then traded. That pick was traded uh, um, to uh, uh, he ended up going to uh, Hamilton uh, or Hamilton or Toronto, whichever Toronto I believe. And uh, um, and so he he was an Eskimo. <laughs> so maybe maybe he's one of those guys that uh, this is the the end of a, a prophecy for him, or you know, getting back to his roots. I don't know, but I think that uh, certainly he would be an excellent choice if they could get him. And, you know, a Dave Dickinson, uh, uh, that would be one of the toughest things to, to get Dave Dickinson out of, out of Calgary. And, and I don't know if Dave could uh, could walk around without breaking into a rash wearing anything but red. Um, so, But certainly those are all great names. And uh, whoever's on that selection committee or who's ever on that committee that's uh, involved in trying to track these people down, I think the it's going to be accelerated now that the, the Grey Cup's over. And uh, those are any one of those uh, choices – the only one that I'm not that uh, fired up about the, is uh, is Barker as the uh, general manager. Um, uh, he's been in the league for a while, and uh, and it's always ended the same way for him. And I'm not convinced that he would be a uh, uh, a good choice in the general manager's position. 
All right. Well, we're probably going to have something to talk about in the next couple of weeks. So I imagine that'll be the next time you're on the show. Blake, thanks for your perspective on the Grey Cup champion, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, I'm a simple man when it comes to coffee, so nothing fancy. You'll just need a couple of bucks. Okay. All right. All right, Reed. We'll talk to you soon. That is Blake Dermott checking in tonight on uh, Inside Sports. And yes, uh, I guess now the attention here in Edmonton football-wise shifts to the Edmonton Elks, and they did say by the end of December they would have a GM in place. Inside Sports on Chet. is day-to-day uh, better uh, better response than we thought coming out of the other night so he's not he's not been ruled out of tomorrow night yet but he didn't skate today um, Smith still day-to-day he won't uh, be a player tomorrow but he's uh, inching closer Duncan Keith had his first full good practice today uh, if things go well he could possibly be a player tomorrow night if we will see where he's at in the morning Cuckoo first practice with us in a while, which was a good sign. So uh, we went from no defenseman to a plethora of defensemen out there at practice today. So hopefully it's a good sign of things to come. All right, a little bit of an injury update there from Dave Tippett after Oilers practice. So Zach Hyman, day-to-day, he was not on the ice. We'll see if he's out there for the morning skate tomorrow. Oilers and Leafs, 5.30 face-off show game at 7 right here on 6.30. Ched, what's up with the Leafs? They kind of started poorly red-hot since then. Gort Stellick, when we get back to Inside Sports. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.